0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 94th episode of MGG Fast Finance, the podcast that'll get three contraptions assembled on your mama before she even gets a chance to turn our crank. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation.
1: A quick message from our sponsor, Face2FaceGames. Face2FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out face to face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether you're building your, stack, building your deck or stockpiling on a spec.
0: I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight is Cliff Daigle aka at word of commander and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game magic the gathering
1: hello everybody i'm so glad to be here for a second week and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you this show as always is sponsored by mtgprice.com the leading mtg finance community sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection track your specs and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the
0: hobby cliff before i ask you um routinely what we're doing this week let me tell you i'm excited you want to know why
1: why are you excited james
0: we got a whole bunch of upgrades coming to mdgprice.com in the very near future
1: oh um, i have seen some of these upgrades and they are is spicy the word i'm gonna go with spicy i like spicy upgrades
0: there's some stuff coming down the road that's pretty spicy um there's also some stuff that's been unknowingly broken forever um a lot of that is being sorted out finally and uh We'll write an article and get that posted so everybody can get up to speed on what's happening uh, in the very near future. But for, for starters, TCG player pricing is starting to filter its way through the site, um, which is going to help stabilize our day-to-day price tracking and open up poss- a realm of possibilities in terms of how we are um, representing price data uh, from a ver- variety of angles. So keep an eye out for uh Changes to our daily indexing, keep an eye out for changes to our uh, card price pages, and uh, a bunch of exciting new ways of tracking your specs, um, all sorts of cool stuff coming down the road. Oh,
1: it's going to be so awesome.
0: So uh, now, tell me what's on the agenda this week.
1: This week, we've got uh, our favorite four segments. We're going to start off with the top movers, the cards that have jumped the most in price in the past week. You and I are going to go over some of our uh, speculative picks in segment two, our cards to watch. We're going to go over GP Atlanta in segment three. We're going to talk about what did well at the 1400 player standard event. And finally, we're going to go over our topic of the week. At the end, we're going to talk about unstable and iconic masters. We have so much to go over. We should dive right in.
0: Yeah, I mean let's smoke through these top movers because I can summarize it for you this way. People are still targeting ninety-three, ninety four and reserve list cards. So for it's instance, been true Angus McKenzie Years
1: for on years now.
0: Well, yeah, but this year in particular there's been a real sustained effort where we've seen these cards like on the charts week after week after week. Not only are they being attacked and hoarded, they're being defended. So Anyway, Angus McKenzie out of Legends has gone from, this card used to be worth almost nothing, um, but it's one of the few playable uh, Legends uh, on the reserve list that's uh, playable in EDH. $120 card, and now $165, so in theory a $45 gain, or about a 38% gain. Um, These cards are going to fluctuate in in some band that is described um, between these offensive and defensive positions, and... Um, All you need to know is that if you're holding them, there's no rush to sell them. Um, They're going to keep inching up over time and we'll eventually find a new plateau. Um, The stuff that's on the reserve list, definitely not getting reprinted anytime soon.
1: And that leads us to our uh, next one. And then the one after that, Uh, next up is the foil version of Maltani, the Morrow Sorcerer from Urza's Legacy. He's jumped about $60 from $115 to $175. Uh, He's... You know, he's got a lot of factors going in his favor. He does have a non-foil printing, but this is very early foil. And people, you know, there's a great card. He's a giant creature with shroud that's easy to play in a group game. But uh, $200 is a lot for your uh, casual one. I I agree that you should hold it. But man, this is, I think silly is the word I want to go with.
0: What do we go with silly? Urza's Legacy is the first set of foils, right? Uh,
1: it's legacy or, yeah, legacy is the middle set of the Urza block. That's where they started with the foils.
0: Yeah, so I mean, so that's the issue there, is that the Urza's legacy cards have been targeted all year. Some are better than others and have higher demand profiles, Um, but they've been selling. Like, I picked up a bunch of these foils maybe four to six months ago in Europe, and they've done well. Um, it's, it's not hard to to move some of the ones that are played in EDH and even the ones that are only valuable, the collectors will move a little slower over time. So again, this is one of these situations where you don't want to be holding really deep inventory, but having a couple copies that you, you may or may not have had in the collection or you picked up locally or you trade into, um, you know, not bad places to be.
1: It's true. Nowhere to go but up.
0: Uh, cards like Diamond Valley, on the other hand, out of Arabian Nights, this thing moving from 350 to 550, this is this is uh reserve list targeting um, from the first couple of years of magic. Um, and these like big plateau jumps have we've been seeing them all year. Um, you know, Mishra's workshop posted up at a higher value bizarre Baghdad um, uh, uh, library of Alexandria uh, city of brass Moravian Arabian nights jumped sig- like very significantly several times already this year. Um, it was like a hundred bucks last uh, Christmas when I got one as a present and now it's worth over 200 So I'm not super surprised to see Diamond Valley um, go that route. This is the land that taps to allow you to sacrifice creatures and get toughness, right?
1: you gain life equal to the sacrifice creature's toughness? Yes. It does not tap for mana.
0: Right. So, I mean, this is one of those cards you're not going to see reprinted. (laughs) Um, Is useful in EDH in certain decks. And um, between those two factors and the fact that it's on the reserve list, um, that's enough to keep it afloat.
1: The uh, maybe people are super happy about the fact that this uh, the version of this in the new flip cards. This is the worst one. This is the Argul's Bloodright card, where you get to tap for a black or tap it, sack a creature, and get the gain life equal to the toughness. Uh, yeah. That one's really hard to use effectively in any format uh, you can think of, where you can't like pay for exiled mana or something so yeah people want to go after this real hard and uh there sure wasn't much of a supply to begin with
0: i'm just checking how many decks actually run diamond valley on media well it's been a hundred
1: dollar card for five or six years now so i would imagine the number is not too high
0: no it's not it's only 350 decks so, i mean the that's not a very high number at all so i mean relatively my modest EDH demand then although sometimes you got to take those numbers with a grain of salt because a card demand is not necessarily the number of decks that have registered it because the card is so scarce um, and can't be reprinted and is a lot of money and isn't as uber powerful as some other cards you might be able to get at $100 Yeah. Um, you know like your fir- your first foil copy of Expropriate for instance is probably more valuable to your EDH collection than your first copy of Diamond Valley and it's a significantly cheaper card. I mean, so it's not going to be high on a lot of people's priority list, but there just aren't that many around. So anybody, just the demand from people trying to finish Arabian Nights sets is going to prop up this plateau. Do
1: you think a lot of people are trying to finish an Arabian Nights set in this day and age?
0: Yeah, there's dudes like my dad around. There's, there's still plenty of collectors out there that, are, that prop up the secondary market. I mean, talk to anybody that runs a shop. They'll tell you there's guys that come in buying cards every week that don't actually stay around and stick around and play.
1: All right, fair enough. What was next on the list?
0: Mogcatcher foils from, uh, I'm going to say Nemesis. Nemesis. Uh, moving from $12 to 20, 26 That's a card that occasionally, every once in a while, shows up in Legacy and certainly shows up on kitchen tables and in Goblin decks um, uh, because it's a Goblin Tutor type effect. The you know th- That's a pretty old foil. I think that's 15 years old now. Um, not very many copies of those lying around uh, at arm's reach. Uh, If you have one stuck away in a binder somewhere, um, you know, it's probably going to inch up over time, but feel free to get in, you know, get out of that anytime that you see a need. Otherwise, not too much to say about it.
1: Yep. It's an awesome card in your goblin deck and uh, pretty terrible every place else. So uh,
0: if you got it, rock on. Good job. I mean, that that one's in 1500 EDH decks, usually related to either Krenko or Purphoros or Wart, maybe Grenzo a little bit here and there Um, but eventually you'll get some hot new goblin commander that's kind of inevitable Um, and since we're headed back to dominaria um, sometime this year uh, that could happen sooner rather than later
1: just with every goblin that comes out the card gets better that's that's how this one's going to go it's nicely open-ended
0: yep all right tell me about the next one
1: Next up is the foil version of Defense Grid, another Urza's Legacy card. It has gone from $40 to $100. Uh, reserve list, check. Uh, I think this sees a little vintage play, which is always good for a foil card's price. And, you know, here, here we go with uh, more cards that aren't going to be... Is this on the reserve list? I didn't know if it is. No, I don't think so. All right, well, this has so. potential, but it's old border foil, so it's safe from looking too bad. So I'm not too surprised.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not on the reserve list, but I mean the again, Urza's legacy being targeted moving right along. Nickel bolas, the original printing from legends has seen movement all year. The latest move is from 55 to 140. That's an $85 gain. If you believe in it, I was selling nickel bolas time spiral copies and foil time spiral copies that I had uh, purchased earlier in the year. Um, on the back of his appearance in Amonkhet, um a few times this week already on eBay. So there's, there's this is pull, this is, has a pull forward effect. Nicol Bolas sees some play in EDH. He's also just a popular character um, and we're not done with his story yet. There's still going to be uh, additional segments of that once they get off of Ixalan. Um, so, I mean, seeing that thing go up 150% for the original copy, that's not even the best Nicol Bolas you can get. The best is clearly the Planeswalkers. Um, but Still a iconic card, a cool card to have in the original Legends uh, border and, and trappings. So uh, just a good overall, overall collector card. Um, I'm going to blow right through this last one too. Ebony Horse from Arabian Knights going from $3 to $9. This is just ninety three, ninety four targeting. And I don't mean the format. I mean the cards from that era uh, have been targeted all year. And I mean, Ebony Horse is your prototypical useless card that's essentially completely obsolete in modern magic. Um, but you know, everything and anything from those original sets has been has been targeted. And, you know, it's basically holding those cards ransom against the, the the mild demand of collectors. It's not clear to me that you want to be deep on any of that again. But, you know, if you have a big pile of it sitting around, uh, as I do, actually, as it so happens from that collector collection I picked up a few months ago, um, I'm just going to let it settle for six to 12 months and see where it plays out.
1: I would uh, be a fan of that plan if you've got anything from uh, early sets, especially um, if Nicol Bolas is getting pulled up this high because of the demand due to him still being the character. I, if you have other old versions of the other four Elder Dragons, I would keep those the someplace very safe, very accessible, because that only seems like a matter of time.
0: Sig was saying that on Twitter earlier this week, and I'm not sure I fully agree with it. I think Nicol Bolas is a special case because the character is has been writ, writ large in the main narrative, um, whereas the other ones, there are people that probably can't even name them that started playing in the last 10 years.
1: Well, there's probably a lot of people that can't name them, but that's not the point. The point is that the supply is super tiny and that uh, anything with that super old... Uh, it doesn't have a patina or anything like Old Silver does, but... Anything with this old, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Provenance. I think provenance is the word I want. That uh, anything like that, it's going to eventually go up. Probably not to these heights, but I wouldn't be surprised if the other Elder Dragons were half his price eventually.
0: Part of this might depend on whether they introduce those characters at some point. Uh, It'd be kind of nice if a bunch of Elder Dragons showed up and whooped his ass.
1: (laughs) The other four have been biding their time
0: yeah that's an interesting way to go about it i mean i think where they're going is eventually he confronts ugin again right but we'll see so let's jump into our cards to watch this week we got some good ones um one of the cards i forgot to mention last week was actually spire bluff canal foils um on say like a one-year timeline you can currently pick these up at about 15 supply is not super deep they're eventually going to end up at 30 um, it's a blue-red land that's untapped in the first couple turns of the game. That's going to be super valuable as Modern continues to consolidate into decks that need to be able to win on the fourth or fifth turn. Um, uh, you know, with the Storm deck, Blue-Red Storm deck, doing well in Modern, uh, they've ran copies. Some of the decks that are that want Blue-Red lands run more copies of this card than they do Steam Vents. And it's in the top 30 lands in Modern overall. Inventory is already fading. Um, I think it's time to stock away. You know, if you got in earlier like say last fall or winter when things were as low as at, at their minimum, good on you. Um if you didn't and you want some of these, I think go ahead and grab yourself a playset now. They're not going to get any better. And I don't think at rotation the foils are going are likely to fall much. Um uh so yeah, go ahead, and get yourself some spire bluff canal foils.
1: It seems like a really good bet. They haven't re- reprinted even the original Fastlands from Mirrodin, have they? Like, I can't find any indication that they ever did. So that's, uh, what, Meriden Original was 10 years ago? 12? Anyway. Um, yeah,
0: something like that.
1: So they haven't bothered to reprint the Fastlands since then. And so this seems like a, a lock considering how much play it gets and uh, you know how it, unlikely it is to be reprinted anytime soon, especially in foil.
0: Agreed. So what's your first pick this week?
1: My first pick this week is a card on the reserve list. I like Earthcraft out of Tempest. Right now you can find it around $30, and I will not be shocked when this card jumps to 80 Right now there is only 70 copies on TCG Player, and this often pops up on discussions of what will get unbanned in Legacy. It's banned in Legacy for reasons I'm not quite sure about. Uh, There's some infinite combos you can do with it, but they seem awfully terrible for Legacy, like Infinite Squirrels with Squirrel Nest, or Infinite Goblins with Goblin Warrens. Um, You know, that's the kind of thing we're talking about, and it's in 2700 EDH decks already. So when this hits, it's going to hit pretty hard, and I want to have a playset ready to go when it does.
0: I'm not convinced it, that the legacy is really the play so much as the reserve angle, given that there are just relatively low inventory, all pretty clustered around 30. Um, you, you need to basically drop... I mean, for less than 1,000, you can clean out most of TCG player. But I'm not, I, before I went after this, I would go back and look at some other things that have higher demand profiles that are from about the same era. Some of the Urza's block reserve list stuff and so forth, Gilded Drake, Treachery, that kind of stuff um, speaks to me more as more likely to accelerate uh, than I trust Earthcraft to turn the corner. If it if it got unbanned in Legacy, that is some pressure. But like the thing about Legacy is that people are, and this is becoming increasingly true of modern as well. And and why <laughs> I have told anybody that will listen that. Um, eternal formats cannot be core to the game, um, meaning that they can't be the the main focus and, and thrust for products and sales, is because everybody's kind of settled in their decks. Like, you don't, you don't see a tremendous amount of upset. And as time goes by, the entrenched legacy players are not seeing a lot of fresh blood come into the format, um, except in isolated pockets here and there where you've got like an ambitious store owner that's pulling a community together. And so, you know, the combination of a relatively static player base for the format and the outside chance that this thing gets unbanned when it does potentially unlock a bunch of broken combos um, doesn't give me tremendous hope.
1: I see what you're saying, but um, I don't think it takes a lot for something to get. I think they're going to look for some way to introduce a little spice in the legacy. They unbanned Gorger Dragon, and that thing went crazy in price, even though nobody's playing a combo with it. So I think that this is, it represents uh, both the solid growth of the reserve list and the potential for big time jackpot, uh, scratch off lottery ticket kind of stuff.
0: Part of this also depends on how much people continue to target reserve list. I mean, this could eventually be somebody's target where they dump $1,000 into it, like I said, and and then the, the corner is turned. Um, more or less instantly. You've got it here as going from 30 to 80 in two years. I, I'd be more confident saying 30
1: to 50. I see what you're saying. I don't... 80 is the uh, the high mark. I'll give you that. But uh, I think doubling is the uh, the floor for what would happen when this spikes.
0: Fair enough. So my next pick this week is Anguished Unmaking, but I'm not talking about the uh, pack card or the pack foil. I'm talking about the Game Day Promo, which has very nice foil art. Um, this card is played in 17,000 EDH decks already, according to edhrec.com. Um, it's got relatively limited online inventory in the $6 range, and I can see this easily hitting 15 to 20 in the next couple years as the EDH demand mops up the the remaining copies.
1: Uh, hang on a second, let me look and see what, uh, what the promo utter end is, because it's the same card, but a mana less. Let's see, TCG utter end. Because um, that would be the, what I would look at. It had a, I'm remembering right, it didn't, although the foil art for the, uh, the promo is kind of terrible. Yeah, I don't want to look that up.
0: Yeah, the, the art the art language I'm making is much strong. better. I agree and, with you on that. And and a three and a three cast card is is relatively more important than a four cast. The reality is that any deck that plays one may may be playing both. And it's uh, the ability to get rid of any problematic permanent. In the case of Utter End, you're trading the one more mana for no life loss and instant speed. They're both good cards. They both see high demand profiles. Um, but I, re- I respond to supply and the anguish Unmaking promo foils are looking like they're being drained quite naturally out of the market on a good pace.
1: I'm with you on that. 15 seems like a reasonable amount for this card in a six to 12 months or so.
0: <clears throat> I picked up some foil Japanese copies for even less than six um, along with another order about six weeks ago. And I'm happily have those scrolled away for the six to 12 month window.
1: Seems like a winner. Uh, My next pick is a popular one out of Commander 2017, uh, Path of Ancestry. A lot of people have talked about this card, and I think you should be getting while the getting's good. Right now you can get it in the 250 dollars to $3 range, and it seems like a solid bet to have hit the uh, $5 to $8 range in about a year. It's already in 5,000 EDH decks, and uh, it's one of the best lands you could have in a tribal deck.
0: Yeah, the only thing holding this card back is that it was printed as a common, which in commander speak means it was in all four decks in the fall. Um, the question then becomes, when do we see the next reprint? Do they reprint it again next year, or does it take two years or three or four? That's going to deter- determine how this posts up. Um, supply is not super, super deep. Uh, it's good in any tribal deck. Um and so, yeah, it's a solid pickup that is largely dependent on when you get reprint risk. Um, because it references commanders, that risk is limited to commander products. So that certainly helps.
1: Yep. Um, I really like your next pick. I got to be honest about it.
0: Well, I mean, yours inspired <laughs> mine. Um, along with my... I, I, I actually named the pack foil for unclaimed territory a few weeks back. And then I apologized in public because I forgot that this promo existed that was going to hold back the pack foil. But then I realized that five color humans is a thing that has settled into modern and people are starting to write articles about, well, what other tribes can we bring this mana base um, to bear upon? And uh, one of the ideas is clearly slivers. Slivers could easily be something we see show up in the next couple of years of sets, especially back on Dominaria. And all of that adds up to the really good looking uh, standard league promo foils, um, which are currently available in the $3 to $4 range, almost certainly hitting 12 to 15 given a year or two. The, the combination of modern demand, casual demand, EDH demand, and um, the fact that if you look at the way that the inventory is clustered, um, there are people with 30 copies up on TCG Player. But that's because those are stores that basically didn't run the leagues. They got the cards sent to them and then didn't give out all the cards. Instead, they're selling them online. Once those guys um, clear out their cluster, and when you have a big stack in them like that, you're motivated to just move it out, right? Um, there aren't what you're not going to see is a bunch of small time operators with them in hand because guys like me have to buy them from guys like that to have any in the first place. So other than those of us that speculate on it, you're not going to expect to see many of these copies. Players that got handed them in in, in their local LGS are motivated to find the other three copies, right? Because they're not getting four at a time at the LGS, they're getting one. So if they want to use them in their five color humans deck or slivers and legacy or whatever, they're going to have to track down some more copies. All of that to me says that supply is going to shrink from its current high point and that the pack foil and the promo foil are probably both going to be in demand. And because we've had such a strong tribal year, I think there's a pretty good chance that both of these cards get a hiatus for two to four years. Um, Since there's already been a promo, we don't have to worry about another promo of the card later this year. And that, in my opinion, clears the way for it to have some time to mature.
1: I'm pretty sure that um, Path of Ancestry is on the list of things at risk for a judge promo. Uh, they did a foil of the, yep, the command beacon, so this would be next in that rotation. But even so, um, I I love picking up these uh, tribal lands, and uh, there's nothing that's going to slow me down. Is it legal for these guys to get the cards, not run the leagues, and sell them? I, I don't know enough about running where I don't know if that's in the acceptable range of...
0: I'm assuming... I'm assuming they're allowed. There's no way they're asked to return them. That there's no like wizards has no interest in managing like singles inventory, (laughs) so they're probably told they have to use them for the league. But if they don't have enough demand in the league, then yeah, they own the cards. They can do what they want. Um, I don't think anybody has to be too fussed about that. The path of ancestry definitely. I I see it as a judge promo in the future. Um, But that judge promo is probably ten to twenty dollar card. So I don't think it really hurts your your spec on the, the non-foils.
1: Yeah, I like those.
0: All right, your and final pick?
1: My last pick is another commander card, but this one's from a couple years ago. This is Bloodspore Thrinax from Commander 2015. Right now you can get it around 2 bucks, And uh, this is a card that's uh, 2 and 2 green. You, it has Devour 1, and whenever a creature comes into play for you, You get a counter on it, uh, equal to the number of counters already on it. You don't have to devour to get it to work. And this is a card that does a lot of enabling and shenanigans in counters decks of whatever color you want. And there's only 240 of these on TCG right now, but it's in 3000 decks on EDH rec. So I think that this is ripe for someone to come in, uh, clear the board, and uh sell off slowly at the new price because uh this was in commander anthology but there still isn't that much of a supply and at two dollars it's a pretty low risk pickup
0: yeah i'm not sure the stage is set for somebody to clear the board because you really want to be doing that when you're like mopping up at the end of a demand, a proven demand trail if you if you put a thousand or two thousand dollars into this card and and clean out the internet you're going to spend the rest of your life selling two copies a month um so i think it's (laughs) definitely i mean the card the card is a dollar fifty so if you want it to play with grab it um it's awesome encounters decks um in terms of being a spec for say commander i just i don't like dollar fifty cards that might hit four to five um if they're not being run already in a bunch of decks like this card seems like it's underplayed, but I I need the community to understand that it's underplayed and and start gobbling up copies before I'm going to want to get in on it.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Um
0: but you you do have my finger on the button to go buy one because I can <laughs> I want to put this in one version <laughs> one of one of the, versions of the that I remember, Sure.
1: One of the How many tracks at decks do you have?
0: I just—I have, have it's modal. I have one that's focused on like counters, and I have one that's planeswalkers.
1: Oh, okay. So you have two, is what you're saying.
0: Well, yeah. I have like the shell. I mean, most of the a lot of the cards are the same, and then you know you swap out your counters cards for your planeswalkers, basically.
1: That sounds super irritating to keep changing cards back and forth.
0: How many cards do you flip? Wow. I mean, I'm 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 fiddling with decks more than I'm playing decks these days as a brand new MTG dad. So.
1: Fair enough. Oh yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I went through a lot of that myself.
0: Yeah, the unheralded part of the hobby where you're you're stroking your decks more than you're dealing them.
1: We're we're a we're a podcast that tries not to get into that kind of territory, so I'll thank you to watch your language. Stroking your deck.
0: <laughs> Stroke your own deck. Yeah. So this... let's move on to GP Atlanta, metagame Wake in Review. Fourteen hundred players showed up for that. That's not a that's not a bad number, but I mean, in the heyday of standard tournaments, you'd expect more like two to three thousand in a big city like that. Um, seems to I have to go back and check historically how the how standard big standard tournaments have done at this time of year in it in and around Atlanta. But fourteen hundred seems a little low to me. Um, this format looks relatively settled, although there are st- there is still some room for uh, innovation. The top finishing deck was Esper Approach. This was a um, three-color version of the Approach deck, which we've now seen in blue-white. We've seen it in white-red. Now we're seeing it in Esper. It's impressive that there are that many ways to to kick the can on Approach the Second Sun. Um, and it's interesting to me that uh, we seem to have settled on the fact that you don't need four copies of Approach to make the deck work, um, which is counterintuitive versus what I originally thought. Um, this deck was notable because it's running four copies of Disallow, four copies of Settle the Wreckage, three copies of Torrential Gearhulk between the main and the sideboard, and a full four copies of Regal Caracal in the sideboard.
1: Are the Caracal there just for the blockers and the lifelink, you think?
0: I think, yeah, I think the format in the grindy matches, you need blockers, you need bodies, you need lifelink, because that's something that the Gate to the Afterlife decks tend to bring to the table, and you need some way to keep pace.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I have to say that um, almost all of these are rotating um, come uh, next September, so uh, I won't probably going to be picking up a fair amount of settle the wreckage once we're done opening three packs of Ixalon every Friday night.
0: Hmm. I mean, Regal Regal's interesting because they take out their removal, right? And now it and even if they know this deck, they've got to play that mind game with you about did he did they put the, the four copies in or not? And if you get them to keep the removal and you don't bring in the regals, uh, you just left them with dead cards again.
1: I like those I mean, you can games. You trick them
0: into D sideboarding. Yeah. That's, that's so, I mean, a... the rest of these decks are pretty, like, these are known quantities. We, we've got various versions of Rabanut Red and Desert Red. We've got three versions of Four Color Energy. Um, they were notable for running uh, Nickel Bolas, God Pharaoh, seems to be the Trump to Vraska Relic Seeker um out of these decks like they drop Vraska, you drop Nicol Bolas and killer
1: well that makes um, a lot of sense that's always because... good to. that wasn't uh garuk the apex predator the uh top end for a couple of decks for the same reason at one point
0: yeah 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 they played a similar role the planeswalker that can come down and kill the planeswalker that just pumped its loyalty in a big way um is is a useful one-upsmanship especially if you think that you've got you don't have to worry about like a bunch of different aggro decks coming at you and you feel like you've got the early game under control um the cards that jumped out at me across all of these decks because there was a mardo vehicles deck and a teamer energy deck is tons of copies of Glorybringer. um mardo vehicles four color energy and teamer energy and Remanop red versions all are running Glorybringers. so Um, that's a card that could see some acceleration if you believe that standard is popular right now if you're like me and you feel like standard is doing okay right now and we're heading into kind of an economic dead zone as people have to spend their money on christmas presents instead of standard cards then you probably want to steer clear even though the card looks well positioned Um, i think it's interesting that heart of kieran in the Mardu Vehicle Shells has made a bit of a comeback and has played auto as a four-of. Hazaret being played across red and red-black decks um, uh, was interesting to me at the Pro Tour, but I'm not. it's not clear to me that the red-black decks have posted up uh, a permanent position. Um, all, all told, I don't know about you, but I'm just staying clear of standard for now. I mean, there's a little bit of money to be made here, but there are better options elsewhere.
1: I'm mostly staying clear of standard. Uh, I'm keenly aware that even if I pick up something right now, uh, especially something that's going to rotate in nine months, 10 months. Um, that's a, that's a really small window for it to get big enough for me to make a profit letting it go. When I would feel better about investing in something uh, from Exelon, which has two years to go. So I'm just putting my money aside and waiting until those prices hit what I feel is rock bottom.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. So Let's move on to our topic of the week. We're going to talk a little bit about the product releases this month. We've got Iconic Masters. We've got Unstable. And we've got... Is is the board game Rivals of Ixalan? Did we ever figure that out after last week?
1: Oh, man. Uh, Don't make me look it up again.
0: Uh, I, 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 I want to say it's Explorers of Ixalan. I think Rivals is the set in the winter.
1: Explorers of Ixalan... Uh, nope, Explorers is the board game.
0: <laughs> so you know somebody in marketing screwed up when the marketing professional on our team still can't keep the product name straight. Well, um, yes, let's just leave it. Because I have looked over this data at least at least four times.
1: I know I have looked I've it looked up over the product data on this four times. Yeah.
0: Explorers and Rivals is interchangeable yeah. to me. So Rivals of Xylon uh no no, I was right. Explorers is the board game. Rivals is the set. I thought that's what I said.
1: Did I not say that? Just the fact that we keep doing, yeah, that's what we I keep having this discussion, it's not a good sign. <laughs> that's the bad sign. Is that we can agree <laughs> no, and still really be not. confused. <laughs> the, the, the,
0: the... Anyway, we've got it straight. Rivals is the set that comes out in January. Um, Explorers is the board game slash magic game that's out this month. Um, I find this whole release pattern a little weird. It's almost like they weren't sure what was going to sell well during the holidays, and since the base cost of producing the sets was relatively low um, by comparison to the potential for sales, they're just shotgunning the thing but I find it somebody mentioned somewhere else I can't remember if it was on one of the other casts um but they were talking about how I think it was maybe Jim Cassali mentioned on uh, cartel this week um you know why didn't iconic Masters just come out after Hascon when the hype was high um you know, there wasn't tremendous value in getting the Hascon early and getting the cards two or three months in advance because you couldn't really do anything with them, per se. I mean, whatever was legal was already legal and whatever wasn't, nobody was, you know, you, you didn't go to your LGS and show them off to your friends when you got back or whatever. And it wasn't like a lot of people were traveling long distances to go to that con anyway. So, I mean, the PR value was kind of dubious in terms of ticket sales for that particular conference. And... Iconic Master is being right up against Unstable, where it's kind of like we're getting uh, Iconic Master, I mean, Unstable um, previews the same week that we're supposed to be ramping up hype for Iconic. I feel like these two products are going to cannibalize each other, especially now that I've seen what's in Unstable and can see that both Iconic and Unstable are pretty squarely targeted at the established Magic player from slightly different angles, for sure. But I think the same people are digging into their wallet, aren't they? I
1: think that um, because on no now, um, other on the other unsets unglued and unhinged, or like much more wacky stuff. You have stuff like Wolras motion sensor.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: you have uh, vile bile. My personal favorite from unhinged. Um, stuff where doing the normal magic doesn't work. You you they're taking magic and doing it in a different a completely different way, not just like new mechanics, but like new, you have an an eyeball staring contest, you know, who blinks first determines whether this creature lives or dies. And I could not play that enough. I'm, I'm definitely the target market more for uh, unstable than I am iconic masters. Iconic masters looks like it's, "Eh, I get to draft Mahamodi uncommon. Yay. Uh, I might open a mana drain. Woohoo. But some of these unstable cards they sing to me, and so I know what which way my wallet will be heading. And uh, I'm real sorry, iconic masters, you're you're not going to be getting a lot of my money personally. Uh, am I going to pick up
0: some of the cards? I mean, the kichi,
1: yeah. But what are you going to say?
0: I mean, clearly the hope is that is that people not being able to spend money on themselves translate. Into somebody else buying these products as a, as a gift, and that maybe if you know you're the kind of like well off household that buys a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff for your kid, and your kid or young adult likes magic, then maybe you're getting them multiple products at the same time. Um, you know, you get get them a one of everything, uh, something in the stocking, couple things under the tree. But I'm concerned because I don't think you're the only one who's saying like making a, your decision as to whether you're buying this box or that box because you know the from what i've been hearing um, iconic masters has does, n- does not look like it's going to hold the premium price point keep in mind that the master sets are supposed to have an msrp of 240 but iconic masters says despite having a relatively good ev like the ev is is squared away like it's not the best one we've had it's not the worst um somewhere in the middle it's it's, it's got solid value in the set depending on how the card prices hold up after release um But it's been selling as low as 160 on eBay. Like that's a steep discount. I've gotten some Masters boxes in the past in the 175, 180 range. I think that's what I got my 2017s for, um, through a like friend contact. But like you, you through like Kid Icarus and a bunch of other sellers, you it's been like a race to the bottom on eBay, and you can just snap them off at like 165 still today, even though some of the bigger sellers have already sold out of their allocation. Um, So I. And I think that both of these sets are going to be popular for a brief period of time, this holiday gift buying season, and then they're going to fall right off. Like, I I don't think there's going to be tremendous long term demand for the, for the boxes. And I think they that they may end up in similar territory to Conspiracy 2, where the boxes are still floating in the background and plentiful at the distribution level and hence relatively cheap. But some of the cards are in especially high demand and less product was opened given the um the split attention span of the user base and the kind of not a hundred percent certain certainty that, you know, these are going to be popular gift items um, leads me to thinking that, you know, some of these cards are going to gain. Um, And I don't think that we've seen um, much from the unsets that was not the special full art lands that has ever done very well financially, but there are some things and unstable to jump out at me as being things that a lot of commander EDH groups are probably going to allow just for the fun factor.
1: I have to agree with that. A lot of the mechanics that are popping up are not that busted. Uh, My favorite is probably the Monster Masher, which is quite frankly a card you would say this is amazing and you wouldn't have a huge issue with uh, considering that it's five mana for the 4-4, four, four, you have to tap five and tap it, and you put two creature cards from any graveyards onto the battlefield combined. If it just said five red-black tap, put a creature card from any graveyard into play under your control, that would be an awesome commander card. So this is just taking a regular card and doing something a little wacky with it rather than um, all the other stuff. Like I have to have arm and leg counters on my art or I have to combine four snot creatures, whenever the case may be.
0: I mean talking about unstable specifically, um I'm impressed in this set's ability to transcend the wackiness of previous sets and focus in on those of us that have been around a long time and are of, you know, medium to high intelligence. But I'm concerned because I feel like this this set is um is exactly that. It's nerdy not wacky. Like there's a lot of math humor here, there's a lot of logic humor here, there's a lot of like in jokes that that are funnier if you've been playing the game a long time. And um you know, the complexity level in terms of new mechanics and keywords and um new in-game interactions is way off the charts. Like this is as complex as you can make magic and probably still get it out the door. Um Especially this whole thing around the contraptions, which is like a joke that wasn't even that funny about Steamflogger Boss from Future Sight, like way back down the road, where everything in Future Sight was supposed to be um, cards taken from the future of magic. And so we've seen a bunch of those show up over the years. And this is the latest one. And they spooled the whole concept of that card out into a mechanic set that gives you a secondary deck and you move your contraptions up and down your sprockets and then you crank them and this is the opposite of the kind of product that would you would use to introduce somebody to magic and i think that might be a miss i suspect that in a an amended version of this product where you took some of the core concepts and the and the art style and so forth and you replaced explorers of ixalan with this would probably do better and I mean, for instance, here in Toronto, there are a ho- like dozens of board game cafes that do very well. Like they do better than LGS's do in the city, in the- and they do well in the city. Um, there's uh, one group in particular um, that has three or four different locations in the city and is busy kind of like noon through to midnight every day of the week. They are packing the place in and they have 200 seats. And people are pulling board games off the shelf that are curated by people that work there. They serve beer there, they serve food. They're charging you $5 an hour to be there. Like they're hitting everybody from all angles. And I know for a fact that Explorers of Xylon, even if they get a copy, will just sit on that shelf kind of unattended because it's it's just magic with more rules and doesn't really it doesn't add any fun. From what I've seen, whereas there are things in this set that are funny as shit and you don't really need to understand magic to think they're funny, like this whole concept of um, host creatures and creatures that can be augmented and attached to them and the way that they handle that art where you're making all of these weird looking half kitten, half hydra creatures and and stuff that that's hilarious, like that that's going to look funny on the table. It's going to play out funny. There's going to be a lot of interesting things that happen and stuff to think about. You can make a monkey pony. That's awesome. I'd like to get drunk with you one night and make monkey ponies. That's totally my scene. And I think that a game where you make monkey ponies, you can, you can sell that to other people and use it as a onboarding funnel. Um, And that's not where this set is going to end up. And I don't think explorers is going to get there either. Um, Those are their little feints and like pokes trying to like, get some cross funnel action with the pretty thriving board game community internationally right now. Um, and I, I just feel like it could have been handled differently and it would have been more successful. Um, and that's not to say that unstable doesn't deserve to exist as a product in its own right. Like this set looks fun as shit, but I think it's going to have a very l- limited audience compared to what it or some spin-off of it could have been.
1: I think you're not giving enough credit to something that they, started doing in Unhinged, which is testing out ideas. Like, will this work on a card? Like, how does this come about? Um, I think that the augment uh, home mechanic here, this is something that I would not be shocked to see, like, actual standard play, considering that you need two different cards to assemble it together. Uh, We tried a little peek of that with Meld. This is another version of Meld. more or less is absolutely a card I could see uh, in standard. There's a lot of stuff that is not terribly shocking, and I think that you're not giving that uh, due credit. But I do think you have a point in that this is a missed opportunity. In ter- like the the board game is a missed opportunity because it's just more complex magic. You you put it really well. It could have been something very like magic light i think is what they wanted that what they should have done with it they could have used it as a way to introduce magic to a board game group and get the foot in the door because the game has proven to be one of the most enduring games put together in the last 30 years you know we're almost it's 25 years old and right now they're they're shotgunning it they're glutting the market we're getting Iconic Masters right now, unstable in uh, the first week of December, and then we're uh, neck deep into uh, Rivals of Ixalan, which is being released January 19th. So they're not giving any of these room to breathe, and I don't know if that's intentional or not. If they're trying to put us in a place where we need constant new updates and content and cards and give us more and give us more and take more of our money and take more of our money, I'm not sure that... Like, is there an end game with this in mind? Are they trying to do one every month? Because I remember doing, I've done one th- one set per month, and it's kind of awful. I like giving things a chance to breathe on their own, but they're on the the four releases plus how many? Uh, like, do the math in your head real quick. How many supplemental products are we getting a year? Like, what do you what number do you come up with? I'm I'm trying to do the math right now while I'm talking about it.
0: Total total products right. is like ten to twelve. So that's
1: four sets and a
0: dozen between between FTVs, dual decks, master sets, commander, the main sets, anthologies. Yeah. So I mean, the thing is that he, here here's what's going on, and we've talked about this bits and pieces in the past. the The player base is not growing. We just actually had Marrow confirm in a in a post about Spike Tournament Grinder on Blogatog. Mero confirmed there's 12 million Magic players, which is not the 20 million that was quoted in an investment report like a couple of years back. So, and that's 20, 12 million active. That, so that's the current number we need to start working with, which is significantly less than what everybody was talking about before. So there's 12 million active Magic players. The, the player base is not growing at the pace that it was coming out of the last recession. And so they're under constant pressure from Hasbro to keep their revenue numbers growing. And that means selling the existing base more product. And that's why they are doing risky things like printing um, too many masterpieces, printing too many master sets, pushing supplementals, doubling up on supplementals in the same month. These are all experimental tactics to try to figure out what works. They're hoping that some of that data comes back super positive and obvious so that they can repeat it. The problem is that it's in, in the fact that those are experiments as opposed to carefully planned expectations where they've embraced big data, they've done really strong demographic research, they know what will work, and they serve it up on a hot platter, and we all just eat it up like, yeah, that's the great stuff. That's not what we're getting. We're getting experiments. And so that makes us test subjects. And the way that we we fulfill those tests is how often we open our wallet. and. If you look at the number of things they've tried over the last few years that they've double backed on, including the length of the of standard the standard rotation cycle,
1: two um, set blocks,
0: uh, the number of masterpieces that are printed per year, two set blocks, etc., the the number of decisions that have been walked back back <laughs> strongly suggests that they they're guessing right? And guessing is not where you want to be if you want to have a really well-managed format. Look at the number of bannings in Standard last year, the fact that they're hiring additional people to try to sort that out. Um, Tom Ross just announced this week that he's joining their play design team, um, uh, leaving the SGG tour. So, I mean, that that's just guesswork, and that shouldn't give anybody strong peace of mind. We're getting plenty of great product, don't get me wrong. Like I still love Magic as a brand. I'm not burned out on it. Um, but again, like, I, I'm in a different position. I'm a 40-year-old guy with a strong job. My wallet can survive it. Um, a guy who's 20 who's got to make decisions between like buying textbooks or feeding himself or, and or his family or how much of this game does he buy it may end up making different decisions depending on when you serve him up more product. Because we've seen, we've heard complaints in the last couple of years about product overload um, and fatigue. And we saw specifically with Conspiracy 2 again which was is a strong set with great EV that still rots on shelves as finished booster boxes suggesting that you know over the last 6 or 7 years there's a lot of booster product that isn't really going anywhere because it's being overproduced versus demand on the basis that it's just too much new stuff too often you don't have the same longevity of presence of mind for these products they don't have enough time to breathe and really settle into people's like want lists so that, you know, they go back on a booster box two years later and pick one up because we're giving them new experiences so often that nothing that's three or four years old is even remotely front of mind. Right. Like that stuff just fades completely and becomes more or less useless product. So, I mean, anybody that's been accumulating like standard booster boxes, expecting them to go the way of Innistrad boxes it has been strongly disappointed and is probably better off flipping all of that into cryptocurrency. The one
1: thing I really want to. Put this in a a simple way for anybody who's listening. Um, Do not pick up Unstable expecting it to do anything like what some of the unhinged foils uh, do or some of the unglued cards. These are printed at an amount that is, would you say, 10 times less than Unhinged was 2004, Unglued was 1998. I think 10 times more printing of Unstable seems like a reasonable number. Um.
0: It, it's hard It's hard to say because keep in mind they had a lot of resistance internally getting this set produced I mean Maril wanted to do this for years and just now got them to do it and they came out and said why it's because they got to ex- he sold it to them on the basis that he was going to show off a bunch of things that they might do with the magic printing process with magic mechanics see how they were received and use it to better future products so it's R&D this is like open-handed R&D. And from that perspective, um, I think if we're going to talk about this set financially, we need to be looking at a couple of things. First, remember that the full art lands are present. They're not my favorite full art lands. I still think I I like the unhinged ones best, um, but these are nice. They're John Avon. Um, his fan pool is deep. Um, I think the forest is gorgeous. I think the island's very nice. I can take or leave the mountain swamp and plains. They're just not that interesting to me. Um, the but there's going to be demand for those. Um they're going to supply is going to swell. I think in the first couple of weeks of January, when the entire magic economy kind of collapses for a little while, when nobody has any money after Christmas, that's going to be a good time to start looking at those and deciding, you know, whether you want them for personal play, whether they might be priority specs, depending on what kind of price movement they've shown up until that point. Um and then there's a few other cards that are either just going to end up being iconic famous magic cards. Um, or could make their way into EDH and/or casual circles in a big way, and shops might have trouble keeping them in stock in the long run. That there are some things you might want to look at. So one of them is Crowstorm. Huh. I mean, that card is the perfect storm yes. of Magic jokes, right? I, I pun wasn't intended. I was not Crow going storm. to dignify
1: your pun use, but you called attention to it, so fair enough. Fair enough. Fair.
0: Nor should you. No, show should do. Crow Storm. Two and a blue. Sorcery. Create a 1-2 blue bird creature token with flying named Stormcrow. And the card has Storm. The, the uh, flavor text is Stormcrow lonely. Boon for a birder. Stormcrows together. Likely a murder. This is a perfect magic card. I don't even give a shit about Stormcrow. I've never <laughs> been into that piece of our our culture personally. I'm not a guy who collects foil Stormcrows from seventh edition or anything like that, but I absolutely will buy a foil Crow Storm for myself because it is just the quintessential inside joke for Magic. Everything about this card comes together perfectly. The tokens that are available for the Crows is are perfect. It's perfect. And so, and there are going to be people that just decide to collect hundreds of this foil right the, the same people that bought sure. hundreds of Stormcrow are going to feel compelled to buy a bunch of these so i think that the foils of crow storm will probably end up doing well um because i think they're going to drain um and and i also just don't think the set's going to be open for that long i think this is going to be a flash in the pan set it doesn't have a, a format to support it directly although there are hints in here that they want these kind of sets to get played in edh do think it makes sense like there's a lot of funsy EDH groups like certainly my play group will be fine with this like we don't we don't care about as long as something isn't like broken to the point of making game, it pointless for us to shuffle because you're going to win on turn two I don't care what you play I don't care if you invent a card and bring it in your EDH deck as long as it seems like a reasonable <laughs> card um, so I'm certainly not going to fight it when somebody wants to play you know ordinary pony into lab robot or they want to play one of these wacky squirrel cards, or they want to play the grand Calcutron or split screen or Baron von count. Um, you know, if somebody wants to cast a super death ray, an instant that has Trample, just so they can say they did it. Well, go for it. Like that super me, duper totally death
1: fun. ray. Uh, first of all, you got to get the card credit. Um, this is a card we've seen. This is a, uh, like Pyrotechnics or Forked Lightning or any of that stuff where you get to deal four damage, divide it as you choose. It just says divide it between creature and its controller. And this card, I would not be shot. There's another one that wouldn't be too amazed if it made it into standard. You deal four damage to target creature. Any leftover damage goes to the player. I don't know how that works from a rule standpoint. I don't know if that breaks the game. But...
0: Yeah, that's that's the thing. I'm I, I'm not I'm not enough of a rules lawyer to know whether that trample on an instant causes causes problems in modern or whatever. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, I could see them trying trying it. And and again, when you know when you know that one of the ways we're supposed to be receiving this set at, is as we are R and D test subjects, testing out a bunch of new mechanics and to see whether they play well. Then yeah, man, hit me with this stuff. This is cool by no means the enchantment that lets you remove counters from permanent to make uh, artifact creatures and then sack an artifact to choose any kind of counter a printed card refers to, and then put one of that counter on target permanent. I mean, most attracts of players are going to, you know, at least ask if their play group is cool <laughs> with them, including that <laughs> at some point and, and, and probably Brea players. Probably. Too, right? uh, there's a,
1: a lot of different ways you can use something like that. But again, uh, that seems like a reasonable card that if it didn't have a silver border on it um would is that worse than uh Gilder Baron just double the counters on something and that has an untap symbol what the hell with an untap symbol like that sounds like something that would be in a silver bordered set you tapped it well i'm going to untap it to do something uh i really i'm i'm also interested in in i'm Sorry, also really ahead. intrigued by the contraptions, um, I need more. I need them to, to show us more. We haven't seen enough yet. But this idea of a second deck you're playing with with additional stuff, I think the only little time they've tried something like that has been Plane Chase. And that's a hit or miss experience depending on your playgroup. But uh, the idea of having another deck to work with is absolutely a test bubble is to see if people get it, if people like it, if it's something they should keep doing. And if we end up with five years from now, we're all playing an extra uh, contraption deck alongside our regular deck in standard, you know, what, what kind of design space is that open? Is that going to be better or worse than energy? Better or worse than Stoneforge for a Batterskill? One fun way to find out, man. I
0: mean, Here's a little design mechanic I've been expecting for years. We're gonna get something like a fortification. Um, like something where you can you can set up a base. Like you play a card as a base, and then you can put other cards on it, and that has some kind of impact on how those cards interact with the game. Something that takes this this secondary deck concept and and distills it down to some interesting a couple of interesting game decisions that, and this is the important part, doesn't super slow down standard and modern because whatever standard legal set you put something like this into can't suddenly make a bunch of games go to a draw. That's <laughs> not where you want to end up. You don't you don't want to drag out tournament lengths any longer than they already are. So and 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 there's a that's a really rich design space if you have unlimited time for matches, right? So that's the constraint is that for competitive magic, you still need things to move along at a good clip and you don't want people to be overthinking the kind of game within a game concept. But I, I'm happy to explore it here. I'm also happy to see how these foils look because the contraptions, the art goes right to the outside edge. There's no border. Um, and that might be enough to make me want these foils for personal use. Um, they're very colorful. The art is, I, I'll give them this much. The art in unstable looks amazing. it, it It's much better than, than the art in unhinged and unglued. Um, this is a whole nother era of design and there's a lot of, really great artists involved here that have done some really fantastic work. Um, So we'll see how it plays out. I'm definitely, I think, you know, my fan, my brothers and my dad and I will probably buy a box of unstable and draft over the holidays. And we'll see, maybe we can report back once we both actually played this thing. Um, And uh, I I just think that, you know, these kind of products are great for people like us that have been playing the game a long time. I think they need to um, open the new player funnel to a much greater extent than they're doing now. And I'm confused as to why they aren't throwing like serious money at that concept because you know the, the value of a magic player, once you've captured them long-term is akin to um, the value of a telecom company, getting a new right. cell phone user, right? Like here, we'll give you this thousand dollar phone for $400. And then you're going to give us 60 a month, but really with all the extras it's going to be a hundred to 120 a month. Ha ha ha, thanks for the twelve hundred to fifteen hundred a year, sucker. And Magic players average ARP is probably in that range for committed players. And it's not the full 12 million. It might only be two million of us that are spending like that. But you know, once we're in and we're spending, I mean, how much have you and I combined spent over the years? How much is the average magic player in the age, even in the 18 to 24 year old age bracket where they don't have a ton of disposable income? How much do they spend per year? Like when I was that age, Most of the guys I was playing with were buying fresh standard decks and we're still playing extended or, um, or, you know, whatever type type one was at the time, um, back in the the mid late nineties. I mean, people were spending, like I I saw guys cracking boxes and and boosters all the time and buying supplemental products and championship decks and whatever. And I suspect that even then ARPU was in the hundreds of dollars per year per player. So I still, I can't wrap my head around why we don't have a stronger program aimed at recruiting new players. Um, not to mention women. I mean, they they played lip service here to the female presence in the game um, by making uh, the spike card uh, a female, which I thought was great. But we also need to, <laughs> A, change the culture of magic to make it more welcoming to everybody. And B, actually go out and get those people and get them into an LGS. Um, or, you know, do outreach programs with other venues by which they could encounter the game. Um, so I'm curious to see what we're going to get uh, as time goes on. I don't want
1: to... Um extend this into too many other conversations but you're asking how are they going to bring in new people isn't that their whole point with duels that they're i'm sorry not duels with uh with arena they're trying to branch out to a market they don't currently have a foot into because um like my what's what's word uh my bias is that um any digital version of the game is nowhere near as fun as the interaction with people. But that's a real reflection of the relatively limited amount of time I have to play the game. I know that there are a lot of people out there who are in it for the game and the mechanics, and they love to draft online, and they love to play online. So um, I think that they're readjusting from things like sending out those 30-card decks, just hoping that people pick it up, I mean, that rules insert, have you looked at that rules insert? That thing is a monstrosity. And there, that's because there's no simple way to explain this game. So right. you really need somebody to hold your hand and walk you through it. Uh, I, Like I said before, I think the board game could have been that. Uh, I think that Arena is going to offer some of that experience. There's probably going to be some kind of streamline Magic because they talk about playing magic while you're standing in line at the grocery store. I've never had that experience with magic, short of like uh, being able to hit F six and walk away while somebody does their infinite combo that takes twenty minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean we once we've actually fooled around with arena a bit, we'll come back and have a chat about you know it's likely success pattern. I mean, I'll just say this for now because we Travis and I have touched on this in the past um, that. Anytime a video game is not supported by a major publishing house, not Blizzard, not Activision, not one of the top five, top ten, it's going to fade to obscurity. Like, the the number of indie games that have gone off the charts is extremely low, like, from relatively unknown publishers. Like, um, the owner of Price, uh, Alistair, works for Niantic, which kind of came out of nowhere with Pokemon Go, but that's because they were working with, you know, one of the biggest... Cross generational licenses of the last forty years, um, that's a different story. Magic is has some of that potential, but Magic is not Pokemon, and I think to a lot of game, video gamers, MTG Arena is just going to be one of the is, is going to be one of the many digital card games they could choose to play. And the problem is that at, in the same time that that's you know coming to the forefront, Gwent's out there doing well, um, Hex is out there doing well, which is basically scavenged magic mechanics that are adapted to a fully digital environment um, that that offers like relatively good EV for the great tournament grinders. Um, uh, obviously, Hearthstone is like the biggest player in the scene, and because it's Blizzard-backed, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And you know, there's a lot of competition. I don't think Hasbro vis-a-vis Wizards does, uh, has good d- digital DNA. I don't think they're going to market the game effectively. I don't think they're going to put enough money behind it um and because of all of that uh it's going to be problematic um so uh, i when they had duels of the planeswalkers it was noted in several investment reports that it did add a bunch of people to the paper game it remains to be seen whether that will happen with arena as well um and only time will tell all right so we should wrap up for the week where can people find you online cliff
1: uh, people can find me online at Twitter at uh, Word of Commander or on my weekly articles every Friday on MTG Price.
0: You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. Um, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and list tools that will drive better returns. And save you money playing Magic the Gathering. That's
1: it for today. Hope you guys had fun and uh, enjoy all the cards that are coming out because we're getting so many.
0: Yeah, let let us know what you think about these new sets, and uh, you know we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more down the road. Thank you, Cliff. We'll see all you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.